Welcome back, Cal and listeners. This is Methodical Millions, episode six. So I wanted to start with a question. Do people lose money investing? Yes. Short answer is yes, they sure do. Basically, what happens is anytime you get investing into anything, there's a chance of you making money and there's a chance of you losing money. No one knows for sure what the outcome would be. But you put your money in faith that you are going to make money at the end of this. So yes, there is a good chance that you'd be losing money. There are people who are continuously investing, would lose money at some point. It's actually very probable that you'll be losing money. So basically, in that, uh, I would say yes. And people should expect that. The people should expect it. And they would invest accordingly. They would their money based on the risk tolerance. I know when I started investing, it's all, it's like the not me fallacy. I always think of, I'm too smart. It's not going to happen to me. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm not going to lose money. And that's the psychological foundation, almost because you don't want to go into a losing hand. It's like psych yourself out or you think you're going to lose. You won't hit that winning home run, for example. So is there anything into the psychology of how people start, does that matter? And uh, what do you think of that? What's the right mindset of getting into this? Yeah, basically, like you said, most of us at first you're thinking, oh, this must be the right thing. I'm doing it. And you think about the potential returns and how you're going to make money. And it's very tempting and very exciting at first. The challenge is not having enough knowledge or Accounting for possible losses can be quite dangerous. So what most of us would do is when they come to a situation after getting a big loss and they re-enter again to investing whatever they're doing, they'd be more cautious. So whenever they have small profits, they would lock them up and take their profits right away off the table, not letting them grow. And whenever they're having losses, they would hold on to their losses thinking that the investment would turn back around and regain those losses and turn them into potential profits. So you end up having very big losses and very small winners. And that's very, very dangerous. And this is where the emotion comes in when people, like I said, including you and me, right? We think we're not going to lose or this is a very safe play. You know, it's very unlikely to go the other way. And that's quite dangerous. So you and I and everyone else will have to account for, okay, what if this goes sour? What if this goes south? What do I need to do in order to minimize my losses? Because everyone is in control of minimizing their losses, right? So if you end up having a large loss or losing your entire investment, that's really up to you. That's a choice that you and I make. And that's something that we should be able to live with. Most people can't. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, I know we talked about this before. If you have a thousand dollars and that investment goes to five hundred, you want to double your money after that. You could have just not had an investment that went south, right? If you mm-hmm. held a cash position, you're essentially at double your money, right? So is there any game theory towards that or math in holding cash or limiting your losses, as you said? Yes. 
knowing when to invest and what to invest in is very important. So some people think that I've saved up so much, I need to put my money up to work. Now that's the right mentality, but you need to know when and in what to put it in. So there's a right time, right place, right price for doing that. So basically by not making a move sometimes is a position in itself. So if you put your money into the investment, you've made a move, you've put your money to work. And then basically you're saying, now my money's in action trying to make something of it, but knowing also when to do it. So sometimes holding on to your money is the right decision, right? Waiting for the right time, watching and not to let emotion get in the way is very, very important. So cash in itself is a position, but it's in a position when you know that you're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for the right circumstances, the right conditions, the right scenarios to happen for you to jump in and basically take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. How I like to think of that, I'm sure it's quite conventional wisdom, but I remember hearing this early online when I was researching personal finance and investing. You want to have money you're willing to lose, meaning it's not between, oh, am I going to double my money? And if I don't, am I not going to pay rent, right? The stakes are way, way too high in that case. This can't be your rent check. can't be your car payment money. This is past sustainability. And that is the key because anything high risk of building the future or uh, investing when you're not hyper-educated on something. And I would argue that knowing something, there's always something more to learn. So you want to have a learning mindset and don't think you know everything is probably the right approach. But A, it should be money you're willing to lose, meaning it's past sustainability. You don't need the money. I mean, no one wants to see their money go down. It's not a good feeling. And like you said, you and I have both been there, but you want to eventually grow and you want to return. You want that money to produce more. There's another cool concept in investing. It's called time horizon. So this is actually how much time you'll set aside for your money where you don't have to touch it. And it's a very important distinction between am I going to be risky with my money or am I not? So a good example, I've just sold a car or another investment and I was planning to buy a house hypothetically. My time horizon, maybe I want to buy a house in six months. If this is a large amount of cash why put it high risk if it can go to half its value? That would really kind of change the circumstance of what kind of house I can get, what my plans for that money were. So like Cal said, cash is a position. And if my time horizon is short because I need that money soon, I might put it in a high interest savings account. I might just go into something more low risk. So time horizon is a very important concept I find. Whereas someone else who's maybe new in their career says, you know what, I'm new at this. It's not a huge amount of money to me. It's money I don't need. I'm going to try and be risky, but more than that, I'm going to take a chance and educate myself. So like Cal said, it's a cost of education, but I would argue that high risk should be a higher time horizon. It's money you don't need. It's money you can leave in the markets for five years, for two years, for some amount of time that's not an emergency bill or expense you have to pay, right? Is there any truth to that, Kel? It's absolutely spot on. It's a very good point. For the example that you used, let's say your time horizon for buying 
house is six months from now, then yeah, absolutely. That money that you have saved up, again, not money that you desperately need. It's just money you just saved up in order to buy that house. Because instead of buying a house right now, if you're not in a hurry, then things can drastically change in six months. And you're just gauging the right time and the right price and the right location and all of that to come into play for you to make that decision. So that is very, very important. And when you go buy that house, you're spending a lot of money. You're not going to jump in and just get any house, right? I'm buying a house. I want to own property. So I'm just going to buy this house. No, you're going to spend a lot of time researching prices, location, conditions, checking the markets. If this price is a fair value, if it's better than the average market price, if it's higher than the average market price, if it's better than your average house, if it's in better condition, if it's bigger, smaller, all of that, you'll be doing a lot of research. So a lot of education is put into that. And usually when you get to that point is money you've been able to save and sustain. Because if you're struggling to make your next month's rent or your next car payment, you're not going to be thinking of how much do I need to buy a house right now, okay? At least most people don't think that. You'd be thinking, okay, I need to make my next month's rent. How can I come up with that money? So that's not going to be a priority. And if it's money I have extra in terms of investing in other places, then yes, like I said, it's money that I can afford to lose. You and I have lost money investing before, and it's going to happen again, and we account for that. But because we only dipped our toes into it, once we got to the point past of sustainability, we got to a point where we can afford to lose that money and started to learn and educate ourselves and experience all of that. And again, money we can afford to lose. And I think a lot of people are smart with that, but you'd be surprised that there's a quite a large number of people out there who think, oh, for example, now is a good time to jump in and invest in something because there's high demand or real estate is booming. So let me go buy myself property or you can't go wrong with starting a restaurant or designing an app. You can't go wrong, right? Whatever the case, this is the right time to do it. And I'm just going to jump in because I don't want to miss out on it. And that's when emotion becomes very dangerous and can actually end up losing your money. So it's a very slippery slope. And education is key. Just make sure you do your research before doing anything because you worked hard for your money, so make sure it works hard for you. Don't just throw it anywhere and expect it to make money because it doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think what you're describing is known as fear of missing out, right? The fear of everyone else around me is making money, I'm not. So you can think of, the cliche term is the gold rush of, let's say, 100 years ago, or you have Bitcoin. You see it plastered on the news. Everyone's trying to buy one who is not familiar with it. And why is it that when it gets to that point that you might want to be cautious when everyone's trying to buy? Because mostly the value increase, let's use cryptocurrency as an example, as you brought up. So in that scenario, there was no true fundamental reason for that currency to go up to that value. It reached to a high of 19,500 or 20,000 US dollars before it dropped again, right? I remember when it first hit 1,500 or so thinking, maybe I should jump in 
and uh, maybe I should buy some. But you know, it's already at fifteen hundred dollars. It's not gonna go much higher. It can't. It's fifteen hundred dollars per Bitcoin, and then eventually, a while later, it started going to four thousand, five thousand, and then it had that surge over a few months where it hit all the way to twenty thousand. And that was, I believe, all emotionally driven. Again, this is a personal opinion, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. And even though the people justifying with their fundamentals, and I truly believe there is a good application for cryptocurrency in general, that surge in price, I believe a lot of it was emotionally driven. So people who knew literally nothing about cryptocurrency started jumping in and buying. And I remember seeing it on every day and I'm thinking, ah, oh, I missed out on it. It's hitting 8,000, 9,000, 10,000. It truly can't go any higher. Maybe I should jump in now. No, no. What if it drops? And guess what? There are people who jumped in it at absolute highs. Think of those people. How many people bought it at 18, 19, and $20,000 and are still holding Bitcoin that's worth less than half of that today? And it's been at least two years now since that happened, give or take. Well, that's why I really believe in making your own decisions. And it's called an investment thesis. So if you can start laying down that foundation of why you're getting into the market or buying an asset, then only you can have an informed opinion on, is my thesis correct? Is it changing over time? Or is there new information that makes this not really the smartest decision, right? And I remember regarding the crypto space, there was actually a huge sell-off in the hundreds of millions because there was a bankruptcy settlement in Japan, a famous case where some exchange got hacked and they were unloading the settlement of all the people who lost money. So they were kind of flooding the market with selling and driving the price down. I remember that was a big factor, but Ideally, you want to buy on a thesis because you won't be whimsical. You won't just get that emotional itch of, oh, no, is this the right time? Or that pseudoscience of, wait, I don't feel quite right. And that's where it gets very dangerous. If it's just a feeling, you might as well go to Vegas and roll it all in black because most, if not all people, don't get too far investing that way, right? And it might drive you crazy. It might keep you up at night. It's not too smart. So how I like to think of risk. So let's make it very simple. Risk is an unknown of a situation. I would argue that it's when you get the outcome that's not desired. And to make it simple, let's call it very binary. So the outcome I want, I'm going to make money or the outcome of the opposite, which is I'm going to lose money. So of course you want to make money. You have belief that it's going to go that case. And how I would quantify risk or identify it as owning the risk is be prepared for that other outcome, as Cal said, that you may lose money. And let's make it very simple. You're going to double your money or you're going to lose all of it. And if those are the only two options, if you're not prepared to own that scenario where you're going to lose all your money, that's not right for you. You should not be playing that game. So this is why we talk about money you're willing to lose. Don't play an emotion. If you can't handle losing your money, don't play the game. Right. What do you have to say about that, Cal, about understanding risk and owning it? Absolutely nodding in agreement as you're saying that. Beautifully said. So you take your investments based on the risk tolerance you have. Right. So like you said, you have to account for if I can't afford to lose all my money in this scenario, 
for the potential of making double the money, then I should not take that investment because that is a very possible consequence that can happen. So in real terms, you can think, what are the potential returns for the risk I'm taking? So if I'm putting $1,000 into investment and the potential return is I can make $500, so I'm making a 50% potential return if things go my way, right? Now, there should be a reason for you to think that. You're not just jumping in it thinking that if the investment moves to the right direction, then I'm going to make 50%. There must be a reason that you came up with that number, that there's a reason for you that to believe it's going to go up. But you need to account for uncertainties, for things that you're not sure of, that it can go the other way. So we should put what we call a stop loss. And this comes back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode of we control how much you can lose or how much you're willing to lose. But we have to really be firm with our decisions. We have to actually cut our losses when we have to cut our losses. And it's very, very difficult. I myself still struggle time to time doing that. And I admit that. And I'm sure many people do, and everyone does actually. So if I think there's a chance for me to make a 50% return, what is the realistic possibility for me to lose? And how much am I going to lose? If I'm going to lose that $1,000 to make a $500, to me, that's not a good risk-reward ratio. That's not enough for me to risk $1,000 for me to maybe make $500. Now, there are other things that come to play is, how likely I'm going to risk the $1,000 to make $500. It might be something worth looking into. There's always going to be something else. And fear of missing out is a very real thing. And it drives whole markets. Yeah, Cal. The FOMO is real, as people like to call it. So I've got a concept. I remember telling you as well. It's called FOHO. So I try to put a positive spin on the psychology of what happens and how to deal with it. So the way I see it, F stands for cash flow. Make sure you have money coming in. That's more than money going out. That's the sustainability equation we talked about. That's how you can kind of mark it down into a small, understandable term. And I also like to think of the OH in the middle as cash on hand. So what that means is you've got cash flow coming in, you're sustainable. And the OH stands for on hand because that's money you have ready to deploy. It's money you have ready to put to work, as we call it. You want to have the money on hand ready to go. So it's up to you to decide how much to use. But the whole point is you've got money ready to go. And it's not going to be this huge gamble. It's more of, okay, this is money I set aside to invest. I'm going to scout the opportunity. So O stands for opportunity. Are you measuring the opportunity? Are you comparing it? The point is, I'm not going to get caught in the one single one, or if it is an outsized return potential and the risk is low or the risk is manageable based on what you decided, then go for it. But I really believe in taking this into your own hands because you can pat yourself on the back. You don't have to worry about some money manager who's got 100 accounts or maybe is making some kind of crazy fee off you. It's just not worth it. The education you get, as we talked about, is super, super important and this all kind of folds back onto each other. So imagine that opportunity goes to zero. Okay. Now we talked about this with angel investing. It can be risky. So you want to make more than one opportunity, but it sucks to lose your money. It's going to happen. You're going to lose your money. And that psychological feeling, you can't explain it until it happens to you. And you might feel like your dog just died. It's a terrible feeling, but understand that 
this is purposeful. It was an expected outcome. And if it's not, understand that this can happen. And B, look for other opportunities. They'll balance out over the long run, as it's called. You can do well. This is all to your benefit so that you can learn and grow and build the future. And just like anything else in life, every opportunity doesn't come out the way you want it to, right? So cash flow, cash on hand, cash opportunity. That's kind of how I see it. And I truly believe that aside from some small nuanced things, and of course you should always be learning, that's a pretty good foundation for understanding money, moving around, understanding risk, understanding opportunity, and taking control. What do you think, Cal? Very good way to think of it. Yeah. Again, you always have to gauge the opportunity that lies ahead for the risk you're willing to take. No one does things and gets successful right away, right? Maybe people can get lucky and win, for example, a trade or two and make good money out of them. Maybe someone plays a game and wins a few times. Maybe someone tries to start a business and gets successful right away. But that's not without bumps on the road. And that's what I'm saying is some way, somehow, you're going to get hit. And by gauging, again, the opportunity that's out there and by the past they have and what you're able to do with that and how much you're willing to risk all comes into play. And that basically is going to help you know, is it the right decision to make? And I think we all need to have the scenario where we sometimes lose or, or fail. If you like, people think as making mistakes or losing as failures, but I don't think failure is a bad thing. It surely is a lesson learned. Think of it as tuition. It's a price you have to pay to learn how to do the right thing, right? So it's just a lesson that we learn and we move on to the next thing. And I, for myself, used to be one of those people a long time ago that thinking failure is not acceptable. But I think right now things have changed quite a lot where I think failure is certainly a lesson learned. And I really take it to heart. And there are many things I can think of right now from the top of my head that from one failure on a few things that still stuck in mind that actually really taught me a lot of lessons that I apply on everything else in my life. So it goes beyond just investing. It makes you make wiser decisions across the board in your life. And that's very enlightening for many, including myself. Yeah. I mean, there was that quote where you can live your whole life and try and fail at nothing and still basically never experience life. So we should take advantage of the opportunities that we get where we live, the moment in time, as we talked about, we're connected. We've got only opportunity in front of us. So that's why I like to treat it as indulging in things you enjoy, your passions, because then you don't take it as seriously. You know, you don't have to put the all or nothing stakes into it. You don't have to assume it's this big endeavor and it comes over time. It comes by trying small bits. So a mantra in investing is sometimes if something's too risky and you're not quite sure of the downside or if it's going to work, the answer I know in angel investing is invest less. Don't just invest nothing because that's how you avoid the FOMO. You avoid the idea of, oh, I had the opportunity, but I didn't take it. Just invest less because if it turns out you're still ahead and if it doesn't, you didn't risk everything. So that's kind of a good way to try investing too. Invest less. Don't put all your money, don't put half, put a small amount, put 10%, put 5%. And 
over time, when you think of it as percentages, you'll grow this huge portfolio of different strategies and you get to learn what works, what doesn't. And of course, we're not the experts, but it's just a matter of discussing it and learning from there. You're dropping a lot of good points, John, here. I like it. I hope our listeners are taking note of this stuff. Just invest less. Again, even those who try to dip their toes into investing for the first time, that's basically back to what we were saying. You don't invest all your money. Just put something that you can afford to lose. That's basically what you're saying. Just invest less. Invest something that you're comfortable with losing. But if you feel that you don't want to miss out on, then that's a step you can take. whatever it is that's not too much for you, you can invest that. But as long as if you lose it, it will not do anything, will not hurt you in any way, then that's when you know you did the right thing. And that would be a very good lesson if you lose the money because it's money that will not hurt you whatsoever. But now you've learned something, perhaps just as much as if you put all your money into it, but without having that emotional drain, like you said, that feeling that really brings you down and takes you down for days. It makes you doubt yourself. Even if you're a very successful investor and you've had great success and you have one big drawdown, that one drawdown can make you doubt your entire career, your entire confidence in the matter, thinking that, am I really good at this? Perhaps I'm not as good as I thought I was. Maybe I should stop doing this and maybe I should invest. And that takes a big toll. So just one small step at a time. It takes one step for you to take the second, right? So just absolutely great advice there. Think of it this way. I'd rather lose $100 myself and learn as opposed to letting someone else burn that money, right? And I just threw up Google for a second. Someone will have to look this up, but most hedge fund managers actually lose on average. I'm talking like multi-million, multi-hundreds of millions of dollars. They could be pensions. They could be all sorts of larger accounts. They actually lose to the S&P. Is that true? Yes. Basically, they track behind the average return of the S&P 500. Most of them are in the billions of assets under management. So it shows you that these are professionals that do it for a living, that are managing huge amounts of money in many, many sectors, investment vehicles and financial instruments. So basically, they think they're right, and sometimes they do better, sometimes they do worse, but on average, I think that's the number. Again, someone needs to check this, but I remember reading it. Yeah, we talked about investing in stocks. You mentioned Disney. We talked about Apple. We talked about Tesla, some of the big names. What is the S&P 500, though, for our listeners? Can you explain that to them? Yeah, the S&P 500 is an index that constitutes of Standard Poor's top 500 companies in the United States. Basically, they're the 500 largest companies in that index that really represent the entire market from different industries. Even though they can represent how the economy is going, they're not the economy. So it doesn't mean that they reflect what the economy is. So if its economy is on an uptrend or a downtrend, it doesn't necessarily reflect there, but it just shows on the performance of these companies. So basically, it's an index of a group of companies that represent that number. So you can buy this index. Can you tell our listeners, can you just buy a share or whatever one unit is of the S&P? And can you just keep buying that over time? Yes. Yes, you can. You're basically buying a share of the index that represents the growth of these companies throughout time. It's not a guaranteed return. There's definitely risk associated with that. 
but you can buy that as opposed to buying one single company. It's a lot easier for many people who don't necessarily watch the markets all the time. Again, there's risk with that. It's not a guaranteed return, but it's a very popular thing to buy into indices. That's cool. You know, you don't have to necessarily follow all the nuances of small companies. You can buy the whole basket. That's very good information, Cal. I like that. So let's summarize. You're going to lose money. Be prepared for it to happen. Be prepared for the downside. Accept it. Understand it. And by knowing both sides of the coin, you can help yourself grow. So I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in. This is Methodical Millions, Episode 6. Cal, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you again. Once again, methodicalmillions.com if you'd like to follow future episodes, and info at methodicalmillions.com for episode feedback. Thanks, everyone.